Well, it's a special privilege to have everyone here and to have the opportunity to praise our King. And uh, I wanted to invite any or all of the children who can join us. I guess that would include the children who I had coffee with this morning, but they are all welcome to come up to the front and hang out with me for a few minutes as we consider our season of Advent. And I get to ask you a few questions and you guys get to tell me a few things. Come on up and have a seat. I'm glad you all have your masks on. It makes sure that you're safe from me. So I wanted to ask you a question and see and, and get a little advice from you and hear from you. What is special about Christmas? Can anybody tell me what's special about Christmas? Okay, Max, saw you. Can you grab the mic and share with us? One thing that's special about Christmas. It's the day that Christ was born. It is the day that Christ was born. Absolutely. Well, actually, it's the day that we remember that Christ was born because we probably don't know the exact date, but it's certainly the day that we celebrate that. Anybody else? Max is the only... Okay. Well, we'll up the ante here, okay? That's a poker reference. Um... Can anybody tell me one thing that they love about Christmas? Okay, Ethan? All the presents? Oh, amen to that. Amen to that. <laughs> Lee family, ladies, do you guys each want to share with us one special thing that you love? I was going to say the same thing. The same thing? Well, it's true. Mr. Joshua? Um, maybe that uh, we can spend time with our family. No, that's absolutely true. That is one of the special things. And as we think about, Mr. Baby Sue, come on and have a seat. As we think about Christmas, and all of those things are things that make Christmas special, okay? But as we gather together in our Advent season, there's something I want to highlight for you, Okay? that one of the greatest things about Christmas is love and the opportunity to spend time and be close to people who love us and people we love. And Christmas is all about the way in which, and we just heard it, that God came to give us the greatest gift of all. And do you know what that gift is? It's the gift of His Son, Jesus. And He gave us the gift of His Son, Jesus, so that He could be near with us and so that we could be near with Him, okay? And those are things during this Christmas season as you get lots of gifts and eat lots of great food and have lots of fun and play lots of games and do lots of things, hopefully you'll be able to remember that the greatest gift of all is the opportunity to be near people we love and people who love us, most of all, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So to help you remember that, we have just a little gift, Okay? It's not much. Ethan has a bag of chocolate, and I'm going to get you to stand over here, okay? And Joshua has a bag of high chews because those are two of our favorite things. So if you're a high chew person, you can go to Joshua, and if you're a chocolate person, you can go to Ethan, okay? And if the sermon gets really dull or you're having a hard time staying awake, you can ask your parents to open those up and eat them in the middle of service. That's okay so that there's something fun that you have to look forward to, okay? But I want you to remember after you finish eating, like all great gifts, high chew and chocolate, 
They're here for a minute and they're gone for a moment. But the gift that God gives, which is the gift of the love of his son, if you become a disciple of Jesus, he will be with you forever. Okay? So you guys can go and grab something. All right? Ask your parents first if you can eat them. And the vote goes for Haichu. Well, church family, I want to, as we um, throw down for Haichu, and I do have backup Haichu if you need more Haichu. I want to thank you, church family, for everyone, for AV team, for children, for setup team, for everybody who labored today so that we could celebrate Advent together. And if you're visiting with us and your guests, I want to thank you for joining us this morning for our Advent service. And our Advent service, and it is, I, I just want to let you know up front, it is totally fine for you to make noise and unwrap wrappers and eat chocolate if you're 15 and under. And so the million-dollar question is, what are we really celebrating here as we hand out candy to our children, right? What are we doing this Advent service? If you're with us, I want to thank you for joining us for our Advent service. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, Seventh-day Adventus, Adventus, or the French word veneer, and it means to come or arrival. And what we're celebrating is the coming or the arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating. And typically in the history of the church, Advent is dated back to around 468 A.D., around 5th century, which is the first documented event or mention of the celebration of Advent. But Advent is the month typically or is celebrated in the Christian church tradition, the month before Christmas. And that word Christmas comes from the word Christ, which is Greek for Christos, the anointed one, Messiah or King, and Mass, which comes from the Latin word Misse, which means to send. And Christmas, together, it's Christ sending or Christ sent. And so Advent is really the season of preparing for the sending or the arrival or the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, these are Christian church traditions that you may not be familiar with, but they're meant to be a celebration of everything that you've heard this morning, what was read and what was sung to you. It's the celebration that over 2,000 years ago, the one true God, the God of the Bible chose to come near to us. And he chose to come to near to us in a very unique way. He chose to come to us in the womb of a young virgin named Mary and through a miraculous birth, which is not a fairy tale, but is in fact history. And he chose to do all of this out of love for sinners like you and I so that he would draw near to us, but more importantly, so that we could draw near to him. And that, brothers and sisters, is what supposedly 
Advent and Christmas are all about. Now, as I was driving recently with my wife, she asked me whether I had grown up with this tradition of Advent. And like most American evangelicals, the answer was no. Advent was not something I grew up with. The month before Christmas was typically spent by me uh, shopping furiously for gifts and attending work Christmas parties. And Christmas itself was that celebration of lots of food, being with family, eating for me lots of chocolate, and exchanging lots of gifts. And I'm sure in many ways, for most North American Christians, that is typically what the season is and what the season is about. But over the last few years, really recently, Advent has become something for our family that has become increasingly cherished and increasingly important to us. It's become special to us. And so this morning, I want to take just a little bit of your time to explain to you and to share to you why for the Chin family and for me personally, lately, this season of Advent and the celebration of Christmas has become something special for us and why we celebrate and why, if you're our guest, we've invited you to come and join us. And much of the answer to that is found in what God's Word has to say about the holidays. Yes, God's Word has actually things to say about the holidays because that word holidays derives from the word holy and day, days that are holy. So I want you to bear with me this morning as we walk through the Old Testament and then come to the biblical accounts of Christmas to have an appreciation of what God and God's Word has to say about the holidays or the holy days that we celebrate. If you go back into the Old Testament, right from the very beginning in Genesis, God sets apart days for His people to cease from work, to stop what they're doing, and to spend time with the Lord and to spend time with one another, to be with the people we love and the people who love us. And most important of all, as we walk through Scripture, is the God who loves us and the God who has sacrificed greatly in order to be near us. And as we go back, there are three holidays or holy days, days that are set apart for the people of God to celebrate the love of God, because that's what those holy days are. They're there not just primarily for what we do, but they're meant to be a celebration of the life and love that God has given His people. There are three that I want to highlight for you this morning, and I'm going to ask the AV team if they could show us those. And the three holidays that I want to draw to your attention, there are more in Scripture, but there are three days or seasons or events or celebration holidays that the Lord literally commands His people in the Old Testament to celebrate. It's a command, non-optional. If you're part of the family of God or part of the household of God, you are to celebrate these dates. And if you have friends who are Jewish, you may be familiar with these celebrations. And the first one that we have listed there is the Sabbath or Shabbat. And Sabbath, as you know, if you've lived in an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood, 
is a celebration of rest on the seventh day. And if you live in a Jewish neighborhood, you'll see that not only for Friday evening, getting ready for Saturday, because the seventh day is Saturday, but Friday evening, the sixth day, you'll see Jewish storekeepers close down their stores at noon, start to get everything quiet, finish work in advance because they are preparing to celebrate the Sabbath. It's a day of rest, and that comes from Genesis chapter 2, where God created the world literally in six days, and He gave His people life in the world. And then on the seventh day, He rested, and He set apart that day as holy. And for His people, that was to be a day in which they ceased from work like the God who loved them and created them, so that there was a day not just to do nothing, but a day that was set apart where rest was really about being with those who loved us and whom we love. Chief and most important, of course, is the Lord who created the universe and gave us the life and love that we have. And that's what the Sabbath was about. And then as you walk through and you come to Exodus, you see that there is another major holiday that the Lord commands the people of God to keep. And that is Passover. And you're probably familiar with that. And it typically happens around the same time as we celebrate Easter. And of course, there's a reason for that. But Passover and Exodus was a celebration of God's salvation and redemption of the children of Israel out of slavery and out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt and bringing them to himself first in the wilderness and entering into a covenant. And through that salvation of coming through the waters and bringing them out of slavery and redeeming his people, God created a new people. God created a people who were made by his salvation and made by his love. They were no longer slaves. They had a new life. They had a new beginning. And they had a new community. And they had a new family. And they had a new God. It was no longer Pharaoh and the evil taskmasters. And it was no longer a life of slavery, but it was a life of freedom to love the God who loved them first. And of course, you're familiar with part of that celebration of Passover involved the sacrifice of a Passover lamb, where an unblemished lamb was taken into the family and lived with that family for a period of days and became a member of the family, but then was sacrificed or killed. And the blood of that lamb was shed over the doorposts. Because as the Lord brought judgment on the world, and specifically Pharaoh, at that time one of the greatest kings in ancient civilization, and one of the greatest nations or empires of ancient civilization, really the pinnacle of everything that the world represented, as God brought judgment on the world and on Pharaoh, those who had the blood of the lamb over their doorpost, the angel of the Lord, the angel of death would pass over them, And not bring judgment. And instead they would be provided with a way of deliverance. And the third holiday I want to draw to your attention. So we have Shabbat or the Shabbat. Then we have Passover. The third one I want to draw to your attention is the Day of Atonement. And we find this in Leviticus. And the Day of Atonement was a day that was set apart by the Lord to celebrate his forgiveness of his people. Now, if you have friends who are Jewish, you're familiar with this. It's the day Yom Kippur. 
and it is shortly after Rosh Hashanah, and it is a celebration that happens at the beginning of the Jewish New Year. And as they celebrate, it's a day beforehand where you are to fast, and as you come, you are to ask people for forgiveness if you've sinned against them and to reconcile. And the culmination is the celebration of these sacrifices, as you go through Leviticus, of multiple sacrifices of animals. And those sacrifices of animals are meant to be a picture or an illustration of the forgiveness of sins for the nation or God's people as they draw near to God and come into His presence. It's a celebration of love that reconciles, a love that reconciles and addresses the sin of the world that separates us. So three festivals or holidays or holy days, Shabbat, Passover, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now there's something that ties these three together, and there's something that makes it different. Shabbat gets instituted at the very beginning before sin has come into the world. But after sin comes into the world, that's when you start to begin to see sacrifices in this issue of forgiveness. And with these holidays or holy days, if you go and you read the description of what God commands His people to do, there are typically three parts associated with them, especially the ones that come after sin has come into the world. One is that we cease from work and we stop what we're doing in order to consider the love that the Lord has given us. The other thing that's involved with this is part of that rest is preparation. And that's part of the ceasing of work. That there is a preparation that God calls His people to do before they actually celebrate. Preparation. The second part is sacrifice. And the third part is the sharing of a meal. Preparation, sacrifice, and then the sharing of a meal. And you'll see that happen repeatedly. And this is, in some ways, a little bit of God's blueprint of how He's calling His people to celebrate His love and to spend time together celebrating and remembering what He has done for them and how He has cared for them. Now, for the people of God who would participate in this by faith, and they would come together and say, okay, Lord, we're your people. We're going to obey what you've called us to do. Why exactly are we doing these things? What's really the purpose? Well, the purpose of these, God was teaching his people about what love truly is. He's teaching his people that love is something that we just don't do in an offhanded manner. Love is something that we need to prepare for. Love and life are gifts that need to be cherished and held in high esteem. And sometimes when we're busy working or preoccupied with all the things that we do, we forget or we devalue or we don't begin to appreciate what matters most. As fallen human beings, there's a need for us to stop and pause in order to appreciate what is most important in life. And of course, the Lord is communicating to His people what's most important in your life is the way in which I've loved you, who I am, and that I am a God who's drawing near to you. And so, of course, you all have been in that situation where we've been with family or we've been with loved ones and the football game is on or the basketball game is on or work is calling and we're on our phones and we're so busy sometimes that we forget or we neglect what's most important, 
people. People are distracted and we want to get their attention. Hey, this is a time that God's given us for us to be together. Not for us necessarily to be on our phones or to be distracted with other things. We understand that those things have a place and they have a purpose. But at the end of the day, let's not miss out on what's priceless and most important. That time to be alone, a time to be together. Well, the other aspect of those Old Testament holidays or commands is the sacrifice. And what is God instructing and teaching His people as He shows them about these sacrifices? He's talking to His children and He's showing them as they come and as an innocent animal is slain. And this happens before the celebration. He makes clear instruction that this is done in atonement or provision or forgiveness for your sins. That God has come and He's provided a way in which to address what separates us. This idea of sin. Now this idea of sin is a biblical concept and it's very out of fashion in the world today. But essentially, sin as you go through the scriptures, it's a description of selfishness. Sin in General is this description of anything that deviates from the will and word of God, anything that deviates from the love of God. And typically as it plays out in Scripture, we see that sin is essentially humanity choosing to love and trust ourselves rather than loving and trusting the God who created us, rather than loving and trusting our fellow man, and rather than loving and trusting anybody else other than ourselves. And that's what we in the modern world refer to as selfishness. And as we go through God's Word, God shows us, ultimately, this is what separates you from the God who created you for Himself. But this is also what separates you from one another. And certainly, we've seen plenty of that in our nation this past year. The selfishness that divides a nation whether we're dividing over vaccines or masks or political parties or whatever it is that we want to deal with, a selfishness that separates. And ultimately, the testimony of God's Word and what God teaches His people is the wages of sin is death, a death that separates us. The wages of sin is death, and we see that and we live that out. And painfully, sometimes we live that out during the holidays as well. As we continue to listen to the word of the Lord, the Lord shows us and points out that everything ultimately that's in this world is going to go away. And much of it in this world ultimately serves to separate us from the things that we love the most. And so as God brings these sacrifices in the Old Testament holy days... He's pointing out to his people the way in which our selfishness and our sin destroys and kills the life and love that God gives. And yet they also show that God in love has provided a way for his people to be forgiven. And he's provided a way for his people to have their sin removed. And he's provided a way in which his people even if they're sinful and broken, a way in which they can draw near to a God who was first drawn near to them, a way in which they can experience the love of God in a broken and in a sinful world. That's something, brothers and sisters, that our world so desperately needs today. 
How do we bridge that gap? How do we cross it? It's easy to be with people who you like, who are loving you, who are doing great things for you. But the holidays are a season when sometimes we discover it's really hard to be with people who we don't like or who are difficult or who have hurt us or who have been unkind to us or who don't necessarily meet our expectations or place expectations on us. And the Lord is showing the people of God through the Day of Atonement, look, this is impossible for you. You can't do it on your own. That's why I have come into your life. That's why I've saved you. That's why I've brought you through the waters. That's why I brought you to myself. And that's why I've made a provision for sacrifices to be made to show you life for life, sin costs. And my love is costly and reconciliation is costly and forgiveness is costly. And I've provided a way for that to happen. And finally, celebration that comes after that where God commands his people to celebrate to demonstrate and to show them that what's worth rejoicing over and celebrating is the life and love that God gives, a life and a love that is costly, a life and a love that overcomes sin and separation and death and all that is ugly in this world in order for us to be where we're supposed to be, which is near to God. Well, what does this have to do with Advent? And what does this have to do with Christmas? The scriptures that you all heard this morning, that the children read, and that we sang, and that we talked about, if we're going to talk about them together and wrap it in a bow, it's about God drawing near. And as we listen to those scriptures and we come to the New Testament, the word of the Lord makes very clear that those Old Testament holidays were not the end for God's people, they were just the beginning. They were illustrations, they were pictures, they were preparations, preparing the hearts of the people for something better and for something greater. And what was that better and what was that greater? Well, these are the things that we heard about this morning. They're pointing to the truth and the reality that the ultimate expression of God's love the ultimate expression of God drawing near, the ultimate expression of God's sacrifice of a costly love was given to us 2,000 years ago through the womb of a virgin named Mary, not because she was special, not because she was great, but because God in love was making a point. And as we consider the words of the Lord that we heard this morning, we see what, what the Lord is saying to us, we ultimately see that God is speaking to us. And He's saying to us, I love you, and I have provided a way to draw near to you so that you, despite all your brokenness and sinfulness, are able to do what you can't do for yourself so that you're able to draw near to me. And we see that this is the testimony of the angel Gabriel in Luke's gospel as he explains to that young virgin named Mary that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of the Most High would overshadow her. And as a result, she would bear a miracle child in her womb who would be called Holy, the Son of God. There's no mistake in the angel Gabriel's words. And in Luke 1 and 2, the one who will bring his people into God's peace and God's rest. 
And this is the testimony of the angel of the Lord who appeared and explained to Joseph. That which is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And brothers and sisters, this is the testimony of the cross. This is what we sang about this morning, where Jesus, during the Passover feast, becomes the Passover lamb of God's people, even as he is led to the slaughter, and even as he is crucified, as a substitute and a sacrifice for the sin of his people. But then after he's dead and buried, he is raised again on the third day. This is the testimony of the angel of the Lord who appears to the lowly shepherds in Bethlehem who are watching their flocks by night and says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And Matthew summarizes all of this for us as he points to the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Advent and Christmas, brothers and sisters, is never commanded in Scripture. At the end of the day, they are strictly traditions that the church has brought in. There's no word in Scripture that says, Thou shalt celebrate Advent. There's no word in Scripture that says, Thou shalt celebrate Christmas. Advent and Christmas, brothers and sisters, are holidays that point to something else. They point to the good news of Jesus Christ. They point to the good news of a God who is drawn near to sinners like you and I to provide a way of forgiveness and a way of reconciliation, first with God, but then with one another, so that we can live a new life and a new beginning and a new love that is no longer about ourselves and a world that revolves around ourselves, but it's a world and a life and a beginning that revolves around the God who loves us. And so we see in the Old Testament, those holidays came to order the life of God's people. That was their calendar. That was their year. It wasn't ordered by the shopping schedule. It wasn't ordered by what's going on in the world. It was ordered, good or bad, whatever happened, by the love of God. And similarly, as we come to the New Testament and we think of the events that the church gathers to celebrate, we gather not on a Friday but we, or a Saturday, we gather on a Sunday. It's the third day, the first day of the week. It's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. What are we celebrating? That our rest is found in the forgiveness of sin and in the Christ who rose from the grave and who has brought us into fellowship with God. Our rest and our peace, brothers and sisters, is a rest and peace that comes with the removal of everything that tears us apart and fellowship and being with the one who loves us perfectly. And our rest and our peace comes as we, in turn, forgive those who have sinned against us. And we share that love with others. These holidays, brothers and sisters, were meant to prepare our hearts and point us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we consider as a church family why we gather, 
It really is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We gather, brothers and sisters, to be near to the one who has provided a way for sinners like you and I to be near to him. A long time ago in a faraway place, I had the privilege of being invited to one of the presidential inaugural balls after the president-elect became president. Big deal, had to fly into Washington, D.C., had to get a special suit, had to look nice. And on that evening, what I remember most afterwards, this opportunity allegedly to celebrate with the new president of the United States of America, was standing in the cold, waiting in a line, in a monkey suit, and then ultimately being in what was allegedly a ballroom but was a large gymnasium, and then looking out at a distance and seeing the president far away show up, wave his hand for a few minutes, and then leave. And by the end of that evening, all I wanted to do was to get into my pajamas and be in a warm bed and go to sleep. It had no lasting impact in my life. And then years later, I would be invited to a small dinner party with four or five people where the big draw was be able to sit around a dinner table with a member of the president's family. And the member of the president's family was a very, very sweet person, and it was a very sweet evening. But I have to tell you, which is no fault on this person's behalf, it had no lasting impact in my life. Why? One, I wasn't a very important person and nobody who anybody of the president's family wanted to stay in touch with over a long period of time. But at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, what we're talking about ultimately is a love that draws people together and brings people close. And God in his wisdom and God in his love desired a love that we would experience that wouldn't just be about being at a dinner party or seeing someone important at a distance and waving them and being able to tell others, oh yes, I saw this person or I was at this event. The love that he desired his people to know and have is a love that comes in and does a work and transforms our heart and lives. A love that draws near. And so we see with the coming of the Christ child, any of you who are mothers, you know there is nothing nearer than a child in your belly. And for the rest of us, we know there is nothing that can be nearer to us than to hold on to a newborn child and hold it close to you. And the beauty of what God is doing through this is He's illustrating His love and His gospel and His good news for us. That He loved us so much even when we were unlovable. His desire was to show us that it was a love that was meant to come and change our lives and it was a love that was meant to be close to us because He is a God who desires to be near and He will do everything at His own expense to provide a way for us to be close to Him. Even if it means allowing His Son to be crucified by wicked men and that's you and I, as a substitute and a sacrifice for our sin. Church family, this is what we celebrate at Advent and Christmas. 
And those of you here who are guests, the reason we've invited you to come is because the members of this church are all people who profess that this is the love that has changed their life. This is the love that has forgiven them. This is the love that has brought them into an understanding and appreciation that there is a God. He rules the universe. He has spoken and he has drawn near. And he has drawn near to them and he's not drawn near to us through the life of his son, Jesus Christ, who is not a myth or a fable like Santa Claus, but actually came 2,000 years ago. And this person, Jesus Christ, has saved their life. He's forgiven them and he's drawn them near and he's made them the people of God. And because of that, they have every reason to celebrate. And the reason they've invited you here is so that they can share that love with you. Church family, there's no command to celebrate Advent and Christmas. What comes naturally to children who know that there's a father who loves them is to celebrate that father's love and to rejoice every opportunity they have to be in the presence of that love. And that's why we gather for Advent and that's why we celebrate. And that's, dear guests, why we've invited you to come so that we can share that love with you today. So after we close this out, we'll have a gift for you, which is a book at the Visitor's Welcome Station. And it's a book that walks through, it's one of my favorite authors, Sinclair Ferguson, that walks you through what Christmas is all about. And afterwards, we'll have an opportunity to share a meal. And why do we do this, brothers and sisters? Because the God we love and celebrate and we rejoice in is not far away, He is near. And He's given us that opportunity not only to be near to Him, but to be near with the people we love. And my prayer for you this Advent and this Christmas, and the reason Advent and Christmas has become so special for the Chin family, it's not because we're better people than you. In fact, probably many of you here are better people than we are. The reason it's become a cherished time is because the ongoing testimony of God's word that for broken sinners like the Chin family, God has come near in our good moments and in our terrible moments. And he has provided a way for our family to be near to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's allowed us to be near to one another, even at our worst moments. And guess what? It's provided us with a way to be near to you. And this, brothers and sisters, is worth celebrating, not just for a month or for a day, but for the entirety of the year. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what Advent and what Christmas is truly about. We thank you for the testimony of your word, that you are a God who does not stand far away, but instead... You're a God who has drawn near to us. That we as your children and as your family, wherever we go, whatever we do, however greatly we fail, we have a God who has paid an incredible price through the gift of his son so that we might know you, so that we might know your forgiveness, and so that we might know your love. 
so that we might celebrate and rejoice in it, and so that we might share it with others and those we love as well. In your name we pray, amen.